0: This is Kara Foster, Senior Minister of First Christian Church, Disciples of Christ in Madisonville, Kentucky. You're listening to our sermon podcast. You can connect with us at firstchristianmadisonville.org or join us in person at 8.30 and 11 a.m. at 10.30 College Drive in beautiful Madisonville, Kentucky. I hope you'll subscribe. Thanks. You know, as we approach the Advent season, Kara is not currently in a series. We've just wrapped up our wonderful stewardship time uh, with a wonderful commitment and preschool Sunday last week. So I was uncontained in my scripture choice today, which is not exactly where I'm comfortable. I have been an associate minister for the whole of my career. I like the fact that when I preach, there's usually a theme or scripture picked out for me to preach about. But today I have been left up entirely to my own devices and we shall see how that goes. I decided to talk about one of my favorite Old Testament characters, Jacob along with his family, and to look at how he developed as a person and see what we can learn especially about vulnerability from the story of Jacob, And being vulnerable can have positive and negative connotations. You know, we want people to be honest with ourselves. We want people, what's the scripture say, to bring your burdens, not just to God, but to the community. But we also know that sometimes there's somebody who walks in that might be just a little too vulnerable. We've seen that every time a small group meets, there's a new crisis and they can range from uh, something very serious like an auto accident or someone who's sick to they did not have my certain brand of coffee or this chair is not exactly where it should be. That's a little too vulnerable. So we want to find a mixture of how to be vulnerable and I think the story of Jacob and the way that he uses his vulnerability to grow as a person is super prevalent to where we live today. First, I want to offer a story that's applicable to our scripture. You see, there is an old Native American proverb, and it goes like this. A boy who was close to adulthood was walking with his grandfather in the woods. They found a wolf who had died, and the boy was afraid that the others in the wolf's pack may be near. The grandfather told the boy not to be afraid of the wolves, because what he didn't know was his whole life there were two wolves beside him. The boy was confused and asked his grandfather what he meant. The grandfather replied, soon you will be a man. So it's time that you learned of the wolves inside every person. From the time you were born, there have been two wolves inside of you, fighting for control. One of them angry and the other gentle. One is good and the other is evil. They will continue their struggle until the day you pass on from this world into the next. The boy thought for a moment, looked at his grandfather and said, but which one will win? That is simple. His grandfather replied, Whichever one you feed. You see, Jacob was the youngest of twin brothers born to Isaac and Rebekah before the nation of Israel was ever created. But no one ever let Jacob forget that he was the second brother. His brother's name was Esau, and while it had a lot of interpretations, one is called fully developed. That's what his name meant. Jacob. Also has many interpretations, but the one I think fits best for this story is the one who follows on the heels of another. That's like your parents naming your older sibling best kid and you that one. It's not a great way to start your life. So Jacob was bound to have a little baggage right off the bat. As they grew up, Jacob and Esau took different paths. Esau was a hunter who worked the land. and Jacob was, and I quote, a simple man. Who enjoyed staying inside the house and helping his mother? Not to mention, their father Isaac favored Esau, and his wife favored Jacob, Rebekah. So Jacob had no discernible attributes except he was simple and liked housework, and it is plainly stated that his father loved his older brother more. With baggage like that, the evil wolf, an angry wolf inside Jacob, was growing. After that type of beginning and upbringing, one can imagine what type of man Jacob would become. Jacob aged and grew up, but he had a perceived problem. Despite being a twin, he was not the oldest twin. This means Jacob would be under the control of his brother, who would inherit all the property, livestock, and run the household after his father passed. Esau would be entitled to all that came, and Jacob would receive whatever Esau would give him. That sounds like being vulnerable. However, Jacob, who was shrewd and a bit conniving, realized that Isaac was getting ready to bless Esau where he would formally pass the household to him. So Jacob and his mother decided to deceive his father and steal Esau's blessing. You see, Isaac was blind and therefore it was Easy for Jacob to pretend to be Esau. It uh, involves some decently sheared sheep and a really great soup. Uh, It's a really interesting story we don't have time to get into. Uh, And he intercepted the blessing that was about to be bestowed on his brother. And Jacob was successful. But in his success, he left his family broken and fractured. In his pursuit of his own blessing, he left a father who felt foolish. A mother who conspired against her husband and son, and a brother who had only hate in his heart. His brother threatened to kill him in front of his whole family and in front of God. That, some heavy, heavy stuff to begin the story of Jacob's life, probably a teenager at this time. But I would bet it's a story that doesn't sound completely unfamiliar to us. I think there are very few among us who would not relate to at least one of the characters in the story. It's something that makes the life of Jacob and his family so interesting to me. We have characters in this story who may not be the main character, but we can relate to them. Maybe one of us has a problem with our sibling. Maybe we felt like they got everything and we got nothing. Or maybe we felt like something was taken from us by them. Maybe you grew up with parents who didn't always get along and that put attention on the whole family. Possibly there was just one day where every relationship changed, for better or for worse. See, Jacob realized that he had nowhere to go, and that can be a familiar feeling. Every relationship in his life had changed, and that angry wolf grew larger. So Esau is ready to murder his brother and claims that he is only waiting for his father to pass before he does so. But to protect Jacob, Rebekah sends Isaac away to find a wife. So we have this part of the story. This is a scripture I want to read. This is on the road from Jacob's old home to his new home. And it goes like this. Jacob came to a certain place and stayed there for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and laid down in that place. And he dreamed that there was a stairway set up on the earth, the top of it reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood beside him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lay will give, you, give to you and your offspring, and your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and know your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning and he took the stone that he had put under his head and set up a pillar and poured oil on top of it. You see, while Jacob was traveling, he has an encounter with God. God offers him a myriad of blessings that deal with his future family and future prosperity. And no matter who you associated with earlier, we have the record of God coming to Jacob. And from what I know about the God, especially in the Old Testament, I know God shows up when people need help. I know it can be easy to paint Jacob as a bank robber riding off into the sunset with his loot on his back, especially if you relate if you are someone who may be a rule follower, maybe someone who thinks that there's a right order to things, you can be very upset by Jacob not only getting Isaac's blessing, but God. But let us remember that first and foremost, Jacob is carrying a heavy burden, whether we know it or not, the kind of burden that you don't really know about until you've done something you just can't take back. His brother wants to kill him. He's lost his father's trust and whatever love that man had for him. He has, been sent away across the known world to live with some uncle he's never even met. And to top it all off, I don't know if you caught this, he's literally sleeping on a rock. Life has got to be pretty miserable when the most comfort you can get is sleeping alone in the desert with your head on a rock. Even though we don't see it, I really do believe that the rest of the family had these moments with God too. We're just not privy to all the information surrounding. So when Jacob finally arrived at his uncle Laban's house, he immediately fell in love with Laban's daughter, Rachel. Yes, Rachel is Jacob's first cousin. But we're just going to push through that right now. That's a whole different sermon, maybe a sermon series. We're just going to go for what it was. That's just the way it was at the time. So Jacob goes to his uncle and asks for his cousin's, it sounds weird, hand in marriage. And in exchange, Jacob will give his uncle seven years of free labor. The scripture says that these seven years of labor passed like a few days to Jacob. I mean, that's pretty sweet, right? I mean, all those seven years, it's almost romantic. You could write a a play about that. I might be beginning to like this scoundrel Jacob, this one who stole his brother's blessing. He's a little bit of a romantic. Working so hard to marry the love of his life. And as the day approaches, we cannot forget that Laban is Jacob's uncle. And it seems he has a little bit of his conniving spirit as his nephew does. So when Jacob's time of labor is up, Laban switches daughters. Rachel, he switches Rachel, his youngest daughter, for Leah, his oldest daughter. When Jacob realizes this, he questions Laban and is understandably furious. Laban says this, he requires seven more years of labor from Jacob. And in exchange, he'll let him marry both Leah and Rachel. Once again, Old Testament, multiple wives, we're just moving past it. So Jacob agrees, and he gets to marry Rachel and Leah. No plans, no schemes. Maybe that gentle wolf inside Jacob is growing a little bit. What do you think was on Jacob's mind when he was confronting Laban? I mean, he was furious, but what were his options? For most people, they would have just had to do what Laban said, but this is Jacob. He stole his brother's birthright and not only did he get away with it, he was about to get two wives and he had a vision from God with all these promises within it filled with blessings on top of blessings on top of blessings. He could steal Rachel away. I'm sure he'd get a jump on Laban, make his way back toward Cana, figure it out as he goes. A story not so unfamiliar to the Old Testament, he could have just killed Laban As his son-in-law, he would have inherited everything, including Rachel. I know, once again, Old Testament, pushing past it. And his servants and his land, he already had the blessings that he needed. He knew he was safe. He knew he could make it out of any situation. But Jacob, for the first time in his story, chose a path of honesty over dishonesty. He doesn't do any of those things. Jacob puts his head down. He does his work for seven more years and beyond. As his life becomes more focused on others and not his own ambition, he finds the blessings he's been promised. Things start going well for Jacob. The flocks flourished, and his uncle took notice. All of Jacob's wives start bearing children for him, and by Old Testament standards, he seemed like a good and honorable husband. Laban didn't even want him to return home to Canaan to visit So Laban gives him a flock of goats and all of his sheep to stay around. It's like if your father-in-law gave you 40% of the farm not to move off somewhere else. Over time, the sons of Laban realized that Jacob was a threat, and they began to plot against him. So God told Jacob he should flee in another vision. So Jacob went. He fled to the only place he knew, to Canaan, where he knew his past sins would take center stage. Jacob has lived a pretty good life since leaving his hometown. He has the blessings of the Lord, not just from a dream, but from the labor of his hands being successful. But sometimes you're always who you were in your hometown when you left. It doesn't matter how much you've changed. He still had a brother who wanted nothing but to see him dead. He was no longer a kid who cheated or lied. He was a father and a husband, a respectable man who had acquired great wealthy had been feeding that gentle wolf in his life. But that's a metaphor. His brother is literally out there with swords, and men, and land, and a grudge that he's been holding on to for decades. Jacob prepares for his encounter with Esau alone. The night before, just as he did the night he was asleep on a rock. Can you imagine what was going through Jacob's mind? Questions we may have asked ourselves. Why, God, am I back here? After everywhere I've gone, in the same place, with the same fears I had all those years ago. I'm a better person now. I have wives and children. I have wealth. I have your blessing. He says, God, please send me something. Send me a sign. And God sends a nameless man. Later in the Bible, he's called an angel, but in Genesis, he referred to as a man, as a stranger. And they wrestled. Jacob's inner metaphorical struggle turns into a real physical struggle, and Jacob refuses to let this man go until he offers him a blessing. And my first thought was, how many blessings does Jacob need? Typical little brother, am I right? Always needs a little bit More, I am a little brother, I can say that. He had his brother's blessing that he stole from his father. He had God's blessing. Why in the world would Jacob need another one? I think Jacob wanted to earn his blessing this time. He cheated his father. God gave him the blessing for nothing. But this time, just this once, Jacob wanted to earn his blessing in front of man and God so that no one could say he was the same person he was All those years ago when he left home. He could no longer be satisfied with the shortcuts that had brought him to this place. When morning broke, the man blessed him. And to show everyone that his inward change was real, Jacob demanded an outward change. So the man changed his name. From Jacob, one who follows on the heel of another, to Israel, one who struggled with God. Israel. That could be all of our names. We've struggled with God. A lot of us have felt a similar path to what Jacob has walked. We were brash and bold, and let's face it, a little stupid when we were younger. We took risks, and sometimes we lost, and sometimes we won. We encountered new people and got in a new way. We worked to get our priorities straightened out. But what do we do about the past? Jacob or as his people knew him later, Israel, was forgiven by his brother, which may be the real miracle of the whole story. Then he continued to live his life. He was blessed, but he still struggled. Israel in his later life is not perfect. He does not raise perfect sons, and eventually some of them follow a very similar path to Jacob himself. But through the rest of Genesis, we see a wiser, more tolerant Israel who was willing to learn from his mistakes and give quicker and love better. Much like Israel on the night he was no longer Jacob's, our stories are not done today. We are still in the midst of them. And part of our call is to look back and do something with those bad and uncomfortable parts of our story. If we want to impact the world with vulnerability, if we want our stories and our struggles to mean something, have to be willing to tell them the good and the bad parts that honesty is where we can make an impact if we are honest about our moments where we lost control or made a mistake and we remember how grace was extended to us we can do that to our neighbor who is struggling we can take that bad experience and make it a positive one or if we struggled and found no grace we can remember how it felt and offer the grace we so wanted in the moment of help. That is vulnerability. It is about not being scared by our stories, good or bad anymore. It's about letting the good gentle wolf win but not forgetting that that other part is inside of us. If we can own our stories honestly and then use those stories to impact our neighbors, then we are doing God's work, not only in the lives of our neighbors, but also in our own lives. Everyone who did great things went through their own journey with vulnerability. You can mention the great people of the faith, Paul, who left one faith that he was a leader in to become the founder, quote unquote, of Christianity. You can mention Julian of Norwich, who, an influential saint who lived in the bottom of the church, never letting anyone see who she was, She taught and hid in secret because women were not allowed to be public writers and leaders when it came to the faith. You can mention Campbell and Stone, the founders of our denomination, who left the comfort and security of established churches and were vulnerable enough to say, we believe we can do something new, which is actually something very, very old. But I want us not to forget the people whose names history will not remember those who have fought and conquered addiction, those who were strong enough to cut off toxic parts of their lives for something better, the people who as their view of the world grew, they couldn't hide the change within themselves. So they had to let it shine. Being vulnerable means taking ownership of your story and using it to take a stand for something or someone. It means using those feelings, no matter how complex, to be vulnerable and help others. Jacob and Esau met the morning after Jacob wrestled with the man. They threw down their weapons, they embraced, and they were vulnerable with one another. They both went on their own journey and learned more about each other apart than they ever did together. They made the world and the task at hand seem much lighter for them to be together, much easier of a burden to bear. May we all strive to be like those two. Amen.